Hi, I'm Liz Henderson, Accomplished Senior Data Leader, Exec Advisor and Mentor in the Insights and Data Global Business Line here at Capgemini, where I influence and guide our clients of all different sectors to gain more value from their data. Hello, Liz. It's great to meet you on our podcast, Her Story, where we will be talking about your career evolution and your personal journey. I am Jennifer Okimoto, and I'm a director at Capgemini's North America Insights and Data Business. I'm really pleased to be speaking with you today. Are you ready to begin? Hi, Jennifer. Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a great conversation. All right. So data is an expanding career field, and you bring a vast amount of experience to the field. Tell us a bit about it, what you love about working in the world of data. And they're all great things around data, and data is a fast evolving world. Every two years, you can guarantee there's going to be something, I call it the data hype train. Something is happening, whether it's data culture three or four years ago, then we had data catalogues, now we've got data mesh and data fabric, all these exciting data worlds that are moving so quickly. We just have to keep up with the, I wouldn't say technology advances, because it's not just technology. It's all the things that go around it, as well as the technology. It's the people and the process as well. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your personal journey that's gotten you to this point in in your career? It's been a very long, winding path. I actually left school at 16, had very few qualifications, a few O-levels, and that was about it. Wanted to be a bank manager. I've got no idea why I wanted to be a bank manager and I actually did some training. I did um, work experience week at a local bank. Actually, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> but when I left school, I went on to an apprenticeship at a building society. And one thing I was doing there was going through, we had like a share save scheme, similar to what um, CAP has actually published recently. But in those days, you used to have the little index cards and everybody's names and addresses for the employees were handwritten on them. And I had to take all these handwritten cards and there was like a good chunky pile of them and key them into the mainframe. So in effect, I was doing data quality in my early days, although I didn't know it was data quality and I had no understanding. And at the same time, I was doing day release on a BTEC business and finance course. And I started to realize that I enjoyed the accountancy side of that. So after the BTEC was finished and I got a distinguished um, grade on that, so I was very pleased with myself. I went on to train as an accountant and worked in accountancy for a number of years. So then I went on to actually use my analytical skills because having got good numeracy skills from my accountancy and always been good with numbers, managing stock, managing um, resources and staff, it was very clear I was good with numbers. So I went on to become an inventory analyst and that's where my data career took off. And the rest is history, as they say. I just excelled in the world of data, kept on learning, got a great reputation for myself within the various industries that I worked in. So, so Liz, tell me a little more about um, moving through your career and how data gave you opportunities. It's an interesting question. How did it give me opportunities? Actually, I think it was because of my passion and my interest. I served on one of the industry boards ooh, way back, gosh, over 10 years ago now. 
probably more than 15 years ago if I think about it. It's a long time ago. And I got a reputation in the industry of really knowing my stuff and helping organizations revolutionize the way they manage their data. And now I'm at CAP, I very much have the freedom to do, alongside my client work, to do lots of other exciting things. So I've mentioned, for example, the, the conferences and the presentations and the things I get involved in there, but also the freedom in CAP to develop things as well. So I've developed a data literacy offering that I'm working now with various different global teams to see what we can do for our clients, to how we can upskill their people in clients to understand data more. So data literacy is all about having, being the confidence to challenge, be curious, and understand the data that you have available to you and helping them buy that data literacy offering for another value opportunity. And also we have a data strategy offering. So I've refreshed that and refined that. And I'm also working in other areas where we can help our CDO clients, our chief data officer clients, with things like, here's five benchmark criteria that you can scale yourself against or mark, grade yourself against. Where are you now in your current data world? Mm -hmm. And then we can help and support them move to the next level with each, within each of those benchmarks. So having the opportunity and the freedom to do those things, I find really exciting. So Liz, you, you bring up a really interesting point. So you are working on offerings that allow you, they're focused from strategy to literacy, which seems to be a bit on different ends of the continuum of understanding. Uh, can you just tell us a bit, as your, your career has evolved, what have you witnessed amongst the folks that you engage with? Have you seen more literacy or do you still see we have a long way to go? Oh, there's very much a long way to go for sure. So helping our clients understand that when we go and do a data migration, a digital transformation, an MDM implementation, whatever it might be, it's okay putting the technology in, but you need to help the people understand the change, the new ways of working, how they adapt to this new way of working and the way the organization wants to change. And I always say that any data initiative is 80% success of your people and just 10% technology and 10% process. And if you don't bring your people along and focus on them, there is a strong possibility that although you might implement the technology, you might not get to where you want to get in the change of the business because you've not brought the people on that journey. So Liz, you've now have me very curious. Are there things you did that helped you prepare yourself for the next, the next job, the next opportunity? I think I always used to define myself by my work. And I've learned that as a mistake. You are your work. And if you've not got a job, you're miserable, you're not important, which is complete rubbish. Hmm. But when you're working full time and that's what your focus is, because that's your passion and you're really excited and you really enjoy what you do, it's difficult to come away from that mindset. But over the last, well, I would say 10 plus years, I've been doing lots of things outside of work, still passionate about data. But nine years ago, I started writing a blog. So I wrote my first blog when I was working in Amsterdam. It was an English girl in Amsterdam 
I wrote down all the tips and tricks I'd learned from spending a year there, how to get on the trains, how to use their travel cards, anything you'd want to know that if you're coming to Amsterdam for the first time, just a tips and hints kind of guide. And then I went on and challenged myself monthly to write about data. And I've been doing that for nine years now. I spent six years as a non-exec director for a couple of charities, one on the community and one supporting the development of children. I also do quite a bit as a STEM ambassador. I work with local schools and I talk to young children about the world of work. Because being a woman in the tech industry, it's really a great opportunity to, to encourage young girls that the tech industry is open to females and we can have a great career. I mean, even this morning I was on a, it just takes half an hour out of your day. It's just half an hour of your lunch to just talk to a class of, I think there were 15 or 16 year olds this morning. Um, they were asking questions like, how do you help people at work? What hours do you work? Do you find work stressful? Just the general questions that they're curious about when they're still at school. And there was five of us just giving responses and sharing our journeys. And it's just really satisfying just to talk to them and help them. I observe you're so confident and clear in uh, kind of the, the twists and turns you seem to have made. Tell me more about that. Gosh, it's developed, particularly in the last five years. I very much have a fear of disappointing others. Even today, talking to somebody about a project, they were giving me the lowdown on what the project needs to deliver. And I was thinking, oh my God, I've not done that before. I don't know how to do that. I couldn't just step in it and know the right question to ask straight away. But then I have to stop myself from overthinking, panicking, worrying, the anxiety and thinking, it's fine. I'm not there on my own. I have people to ask. And I really do have to question or stop myself from that over worrying and the overthinking. You have had such an interesting career and you've engaged with a lot of people. You've talked about whether they're clients or in the work you do in uh, volunteer world uh, and uh, in different ways you've engaged with the world. Uh, can you share with us some of your observations about what it takes to be a great leader or a great professional? What I call the three C's. Care, coach and communicate. So you need to care for your people. The world has changed. If you want to bring your authentic self to work, you need to bring that baggage. It's unavoidable. If your shower's leaking or your dog's died or whatever it might be, that's part of you. And you bring that to work without, well, it just, it's you and you come to work as a whole person. So that caring approach that we need to bring to our employees and our colleagues and our teams, you need to take care of them and understand that something might be going on in the background. They may want to tell you about it, they may not. And then the coaching side of it is how can you make your people better? You ultimately want to train your people up and guide them and coach them so they can go off and lead and spread their wings and do other exciting things. You don't want to hold them back. So for me, coaching is really important to share your experience and the, the pitfalls that you went through and how can they avoid them but still go on that learning journey. And then communicating. You want your people to be on board with what you're doing, share your same vision, 
but you might have that vision in your head and that's not going to help them be part of your journey and support you. You need to be communicating that vision, communicating that where are you going, what's the destiny, what's the journey, what steps do we need to go, where are the challenges, so good clear communication both ways and that's really important is part of that. So they would be my three points, the three C's. Talk about your experience with hybrid family life balance. How do you make that work? I think you're productive at home. I tend to start earlier, but I also tend to put breaks in. So I'm very good at setting my boundaries. So at 5.30, come the end of the day, I will 90% of the time switch everything off. Go and have some dinner, switch off, and then decide what I'm gonna do. Sometimes I'll come back and work later. Sometimes I won't, I'll go out with friends or watch the TV. But for me, it's really important just to flick that switch when I finish my last meeting and just, okay, stop. What do I need to do now for the rest of the evening? And really setting those boundaries. I'd like to share a quote with you and see how it resonates with you. Um, it's a quote from an American businesswoman and CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra. She says, it's okay to admit what you don't know. It's okay to ask for help. And it's more than okay to listen to the people you lead. In fact, it's essential. How does that resonate with you? That really resonates with me, actually. I don't know where you found that quote, but actually that's very good. I've always had a problem asking for help. I, d I don't now, I must admit, but I always used to think that if you ask for help, it was a weakness. Again, going back to the world of, we've changed our management styles and the way we look after our people. And I thought if I asked for help, it was a weakness because I should know everything how wrong I was. Absolutely, nobody knows everything. And it's actually a strength to be asking for help because although you're a senior leader and you're pretty much on your own, you need to have that network around you. You need to be talking to your people as well in your teams because some of those will be a lot stronger and more of an expert than you will ever be in certain topics. And some of the things that CAP have given me an opportunity to do are um, women on boards. I'm involved in one of their programs, their executive mm. leadership programs. And it's teaching me lots of new and exciting skills about working with executives and how to engage better with them and lead teams better. So yeah, you continually learn throughout your entire life. So yeah, I love that quote, it's fantastic, thank you. Well, thank you for that response. And it also shares with us the the imperative it puts on us as leaders to uh, listen to our people asking for help as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that yeah. goes back to the care, the coach and the communicate. Oh, well, what a way to take a pause. Well, thank you, Liz. It was, this was just wonderful. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed hearing about Liz Henderson and her story. And we hope you'll join us in the future for uh, future episodes of Her Story with Capgemini. Thanks so much. <laughs>